is here at a particular time. God has a plan and a purpose and a time in which he performs his uh, purpose. And this is that time. So we're looking forward to that, to move out the way. There were times on Sunday morning where uh, we had like 150 young people down at the altar worshiping. They would take my seat. I say, hold on a minute here. I am the pastor. This seat is mine. But, uh, but praise the Lord, I'll give up my seat any day for, for a young person to come to Christ. Hallelujah. You know, it's such a blessing to come in a meeting like this. I, like I said, I've been saved 50 years. I always uh, look forward to Sunday mornings to come in the presence of God. You have to understand, this is not a social group here. This is the body of Christ. And when we come together, his presence is here. And his presence is holy. And we have to reverence that. We got to count it a blessing that we can even stand in the presence of a holy God. You understand? That, that we have the privilege, and the privilege is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the, the high priest would go once a year into the Holy of Holies to, to bring the blood for the sins of the people. And he wouldn't dare enter that holy place without the blood. And it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can actually stand in the presence of God because he's holy. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I just sense his presence here. And uh, God has a word for us. We're going to continue in our series on the harvest. And I think we need to understand the meaning of the harvest. And I think I shared a little bit of that last week, what it really is. When Jesus referred to the harvest, he was talking about people. Talking about people. I know we have wheat up on the board here, but he's not talking about that. When he was talking about bringing in the harvest, he was talking about people. And the people he was talking about are people that are held captive to sin. People that were under the power of Satan. That he was talking about bringing them into the freedom of what God has for them. Jesus stated his purpose for his coming in the synagogue and his hometown of Nazareth. In the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, which he quoted Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. It's amazing. He walked in the synagogue. And in a Jewish tradition, if you was a man, when you came in, you better be ready. Because the synagogue ruler would just come up to you and hand you the scroll. And you would read it, and you better have a word for the people. Well, it just so happens to hand the scroll to Jesus. And this is what he read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After he read that, he gave the scroll back to the attendant and sat down. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what I just read, I am him. That was strange to them, but that's the way it was. Jesus said he'd come to set the prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. Now, when we go to the book of Acts, when the Lord called the apostle Paul to preach the gospel, this is what he told him in Acts, in Acts what was actually happened in, in Acts chapter 9, but uh, Paul is sharing this in Acts 26, 17, and 18. He said this, he said, this is what the Lord told me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, this is what the church is all about. This is what we do. We are to set the people free from the power of Satan and turn them to the power of God. That's what we're about. That's what the harvest is all about. So when we're talking about bringing in the harvest, we're talking about bringing in people that were held captive and now setting them free. Sin puts people in bondage. Sin puts people in captivity. We have examples of this time and time again in the Word of God concerning the Israelites. I think it's in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul is telling the church, you see all the stuff we're reading in the Old Testament? God recorded that so it would be an example to us. So when you hear people say, we don't have to worry about the Old Testament, that's a lie of the devil. We do have to worry about the Old Testament because it has examples in there that, that means something to us today. So the Lord set the Israelites free from 400 years of Egyptian slavery. Then he brought them into the promised land to be, to be free and to prosper them. And I love what, what he told them. He said, listen, I'm going to bring you into a land where you're going to have fields that you didn't plant. You're going to have houses that you didn't build. You're going to have cities that you didn't construct. You're going to just take it all. It's all going to be yours. But he gave them a warning. He said, but if you turn from me, it's not going to be good. He says, I'm going to send your enemies in and they're going to take you over. That's exactly what happened. We're going to read in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 36, verse 15. It says this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. That was the prophets. Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. God sent prophets to tell his people, just like he's sending ministers to tell his people, watch out. Stay. Don't turn from me because there's going to be a problem. 
But, in verse 16, but they mock God's messengers. Don't mock God's messengers. I'm a messenger. Don't mock me. I'm just a messenger. Okay? Then he says, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Whoo! You don't ever get to the place where there's no remedy for you. He brought up against the king, he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man or young woman, old man or age. These people didn't have mercy on anybody. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces, destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. All this was already prophesied by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved to the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and in Judea. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, because of sin, God handed the Israelites over to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, killed the majority of the people. They went in there merciless to kill everybody, young, old, crippled, whoever. But he took the remnant of the people of God, people of Judah to Babylon. And it was 70 years after this that the prophecy of Jeremiah came true, that the Lord would bring them back home. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was defeated by Cyrus, king of Persia. Then the Lord moved on a new king, Cyrus, to let a remnant of the Jews go back home. He says, any of you people who desire to go back home into your homeland, I'm setting you free. And it says, among the people who went back with them was the prophet Ezra. It is believed that the prophet Ezra wrote the 126th Psalm. Can't be verified, but it, the, all the evidence looks like he wrote this because he was one of the, he was one of the people that was brought into captivity. Then he was part of the remnant that God brought back to Jerusalem. Psalm 126 describes the event of when King Cyrus told these people, you're free to go. He describes it. 
when the people of Judah were set back to go back to Jerusalem. I want to read the Psalm 126. It has six verses of scripture in it. And this is what it says. And I want you to understand, it's talking about the time when the captives, the, Jew, the, the, the Jews that were captive, were set free to go back to their homeland. This is what it says. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Najib. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This psalm is actually a song. That's what psalms were. They were actually songs that were sung by the Israelites. Now, this song had a heading. The NIV had a heading Right before that, if you see it in your Bible, it says that it's a song of ascents. Then the King James says it's a song of degrees. There are 15 psalms that have these kind of readings before them. The Hebrew word for this means literally a journey to a higher place or a climatic progression. There are three notes that sounded here in this psalm. The first note was a praise, verses 1 to 3, of what God had done for them. That's what they were praising God. In verse 4, it talked about their total restoration. It was a prayer. They wanted God not only for these few people to come back, but they were praying that all of them would come back and, and begin to serve God again. And then there was a note of expectancy in verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 says this. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So I titled this message, The Expectation of the Harvest. In other words, we have to expect this. If you don't expect it, you're not going to get anything. If a farmer went out and sowed his seed and didn't, didn't have any hope that anything was going to happen, probably wasn't going to happen. The writer of this psalm is not identified, but we believe that it's the prophet Ezra because Ezra was among those who returned. So he had an idea of what the, the atmosphere was like when they got home. They just couldn't believe it. They said, we were like men who dreamed. We couldn't dream. We were, we were uh, 70 years in, in, in bondage, and now we set free. So they returned to their country in the city of Jerusalem. The writer had to experience it to be able to write this, to capture the emotions of the people there. The psalm started out by recording the joy of the people. He said, we were like men who dreamed. In other words, they couldn't believe what they were experiencing. And I take it, it's like a person, I guess it was like me, I remember this. When you get truly born again, 
When you get saved, God forgives you of all your sin, all your wickedness, all my wickedness for 27 years. God said it's done away with. Forget about it. Everything has become new now. I'm not holding anything against you. You are free to go. See, that's like a dream. That's like a dream. You mean to tell me all my guilt, all my shame is gone? That's why we sing that song, Oh Happy Day. Oh Happy Day. When he washed my sins away. Oh Happy Day. We should be the, we should be the most joyous people on earth. You say, no, but I'm going through trouble and hardship. I don't care what you're going through. Nothing should take that joy away. That I'm saved, I'm going to heaven no matter what. Okay? So, this joy overwhelmed them because of their freedom. See, this is what Jesus came to give us. He came to set the captives free. He come to set the depressed free. He come, the oppressed. He's come to set the captives free. That's what the harvest is all about. We want to rescue people, bring them into freedom, where they can have the joy of the Lord, where they'll feel like they're dreaming because God's given them a new life. These Jews are free to go back to the land, but it also recorded their sorrow. Because they had fellow Jews still there in captivity. In other words, there was only a remnant that went out. They were, they were jumping with joy thinking they was dreaming. But all of a sudden, they realized that there was still more of their people back there who didn't come with them. That's what, what the prayer was about in verse 4. They were saying, Lord, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Najib. In other words, there was a stream in the Najib that, that once a year, it would flow down into the desert land. And you know what happens when water hits the desert? Things start growing. The sand starts turning green. Trees start coming up. Stuff starts coming up when the water flows. But what they were talking about, let our people come back into the land and let the land that was desolate for 70 years all of a sudden have life in it. That's what they were saying in verse 4. The psalmist told, let my people come back and, and bring life to the land again. Let me tell you something. This country... This country is ever going to survive. People are going to have to come back, serve God, and bring life back to this country that we're living in because it's dying. This is the same mixed feelings. They had mixed feelings. They, they, they were joyous because they were back. They were going to rebuild the temple. They were, going, they, were going to, they were going to inhabit the city again. But they had some mixed feelings because they still had probably family back there, friends back there that were still in bondage. See, that ought to be the mixed feelings that we have. I mean, we come here on Sunday morning, we shout for joy, aren't we? 
We, 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 we just shouting for joy. I, I'm like I'm in a dream. I want to tell you, this is another dream church. I had dream churches. This is another dream church here. But guess what? There's still people that need to get saved. We can't just come here and rejoice all the time. Yeah, we need to rejoice that we're saved. But we've got to have mixed feelings that, that, that there are still people that are bondage and bondage to sin. It could be your family. It could be friends. It could be neighbors. It could be that. See, we can't just settle here. There got to be some weeping for our family and members of our family and friends that are still in bondage. That when the conditions are right, we can expect the harvest. So what are the conditions? When can we really expect the harvest? Well, they're found in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That used to be an old hymn. We used to sing that. Used to sing that. Because it's true. When we sow in tears about the loss. Now, tears can come from a positive or a negative view. From a negative view, it's tears of despair. Now, we can cry over our family, we can cry over them, but if we're crying tears of despair, like they're in a hopeless condition, they could never be saved. I keep telling them, but they keep turning away. They keep rejecting everything. Well, we can sow those kind of tears, tears of pessimism over the prospect of defeat. Like God can't save them. They, they just keep rejecting everything. We can cry over that. No farmer will ever reap a harvest if he fails to sow the seed just because the weather doesn't look favorable. We sow it no matter what it is. We're going to sow the seed. If we sow seeds of discouragement because we know the difficulties that we're going to face to bring in the harvest. Listen, there's a lot of challenges to face between sowing time and harvest time. You ever try to grow something? I'm growing stuff in my yard right now. I got a, a, a winter harvest going. I got some cauliflower growing. I got some some broccoli growing. I got it in cage. I went out there one day when I first planted them. The plants were very small and tender. I said, what in the world is eating these plants? Got holes all in there. I said, the thing had leaves. And something's eating. I had to find them. They were little, little snails or something. I had to kill them. But I got a, everything. You, you got to look out for everything. Bugs get in there, they want to eat up the stuff before it even grows. So when we're sowing, there's challenges when we sow in, until harvest time comes because there's weeds, insects, blight. The signs are inevitable because they're going to be there. 
Anytime you sow, there's going to be challenges. We can't cry about them. We got to expect them. They're going to come. We're going in Satan's kingdom. He's not going to let it go. He ain't going to let people go. His people ain't letting them go. Listen, we can't cry about it. We got to expect it. We've been soaring in this ministry now, what, Pastor Joe, about five, seven years. We, we've been soaring. We've been soaring. We started this ministry in Pastor Joseph's parents' house on Clay Street. And we went from there. I was pastoring in, in Covington. And they said, why, why don't you start another church here in Metairie? I said, well, let's, let's test the waters. Start inviting people to the group. And it started happening. We went from, from Pastor Joseph's house to a rented room in Dunkin' Donuts. Well, I just met some of y'all, Angel and, and, and Lester and a bunch of you guys. Just met them. They, they came in. They came in. And we went from that to Bora Church on Saturday night. Then we went from there to the Ramada Hotel. Remember that with the trailer? Pull a trailer up. Take the stuff out. Bring the stuff in. Set the stuff up. Take it out. I used to see Nick on Sunday morning like this. <laughs> I said, Nick, I'm sorry. It's the best we can do right now. It's the best we can do right now. But we touched a lot of people. I, I'm telling you, we touched some people. They didn't stick with us. You know why? Because pioneering is hard. Pioneering is challenging. Preaching out in the parking lot, doing whatever. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to pioneer a new church. This is the third time. First time I did it in a school cafeteria. We had to pull a trailer too, the same thing. Set up baby beds, everything, just what have you. We've been through that already. It's not easy. I knew what I was getting into. Pastor Joseph didn't know, but I knew when we did this what it was going to take to take and start a church from nothing. Okay? The first church we started in River Ridge, me and my wife, of course, we were younger than we were in our mid-30s, went out there with $25. $25 was my tithe for the week. But we grew that church, built a new building there, spent nine years. Then God sent me to Chalmette to take over that disaster over there. And uh, I say disaster, it was a traditional Going nowhere church. It was going nowhere. Okay? And because it had a lot of problems. But we can't sow tears of sorrow because the soil will not produce fruit for a harvest. Now there's a positive view in tears. We must sow in faith. Even though things don't look favorable, we need to sow tears of urgency. We got to do this. Say, it's got to get done. You got, we got we to gotta, we gotta cry because we know there's no other alternative to this because the fields are ripe for harvest. They're ripe already. The problem is the workers are for few. We got to cry about that. We're going to weep about that. We're trying to do things that we don't have enough people 
to help us do it. We're going to cry about that. But they're going to come. They're going to come. See, Jesus never hurried. Jesus was never in a hurry. But he always recognized the urgency of the time. He knew. Listen, we ain't got to get too much of a hurry. But this thing got to get done. See, it's got to get done. See, when we sow in tears of concern, Jesus cried for the unsaved. The last time Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the last time, he wept over the city because of their spiritual blindness, their rejection of him as the Messiah. They're suffering under the curse of sin. See, you got to cry when you see people suffering under the curse of sin and they won't come to Jesus. They won't come. They're suffering. And you know that if they just came to Christ, things that would be different for them. They won't do it. Jesus said, if they only knew. Can you imagine that? If they only knew. Like Jesus told the woman at the well, if you only knew who was talking to you, woman, you'd ask me. But those tears Jesus shed were like the tears of Moses over the Israelites, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, like the Apostle Paul. Why does it take so many of us to produce so little of a harvest? Could it be a lack of concern or dry eyes? Maybe we're not weeping. Our self-centeredness that we're only worrying about ourselves and not about the kingdom. Worrying about what we get and not about the kingdom, the big picture. That's why churches don't grow. Everybody just want to come in and get. They could care less about the kingdom. We get so self-centered and we get blind to the harvest. I remember there was a, a evangelistic little, little film. I, I think I showed it when we were in the Ramada Hotel. It was about the harvest. About a guy who was a, you know, Jesus told we're going to be fishers of men. This guy was a fisherman. He was in his boat. And, and they got people drowning behind him in the water. And this guy is telling him about asking him, about boating and boating safety and all. And he kept telling the guy, turn around. There's people dry, drowning behind you. He said, no, man, we, we can swim. Me, me and my whole, we all swimmers. He said, yeah, but there's people back there that are drowning. He wouldn't turn around. He wanted to stay in the boat. I don't want to go in the water and save somebody. Just stay. See, we can't be like that. We can't be like that. So, it's when we go out to sow seeds. It's, we have a commission to do that. See, it's right there. We, we can't ever forget that. That's why it's on the wall. It can't be something we read every two weeks. No, it's got to be in front of us every time we come here. We have a commission. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. As you go preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. 
We freely got it. We can freely give it. Let's give it away. Freely we have received, we must freely give. The first phase of our commission is going. We got to go. We don't sit. And I remember brother, the evangelist brother uh, Shambach. He said, you know why they call them things pews? Because they stink. That's all a church does is sit. They call them pews. See, we're not to go to some foreign country. You might. I've been to foreign countries already, but that is not my calling. If it was, I'd still be there. But, it, but any one of us is going forth in our life. Every time you get up in the morning, you're going forth. You're going to see people. You're going to be somewhere. You're going to be around people that are lost and dying every day of your life. You, you, you get up, you're going. Where? Well, I'm going to Walmart. Well, whatever. Rouses. Wherever. You're going somewhere. You're going to work. You're going to school. You're going somewhere. Every day brings different scenarios. Include, includes people everywhere. We're interacting with people every day. We must be willing to sow the seed. Many Christians participate all kind of community events. They go to things. You know, they're putting their kids in baseball, football, soccer. They're all around people that are lost. Well, whether you're at work, play, wherever it is. We can't fail to sow the seeds of the gospel. See, this is what Jesus said the kingdom is like in Mark chapter 4. Verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom is, is of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up. The seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel, uh, kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe. He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Let me tell you something. You don't have to know how it happens. You don't have to know that when you give somebody the gospel, you're telling them about Jesus. You don't have to know how it works. Just do it. Cast it every way you can. People say, well, I don't know the Bible. Well, you don't have to know the Bible at all. You have to know it at all. I didn't know it at all. I want people of Christ. I just told them what happened to me and what could happen to them if they just came to Jesus. How you could change your life. Your whole life could be different and you can be blessed instead of cursed. That's all. Everybody, you don't have to be a, a theologian to do that. Whenever the opportunity avails itself, see, Jesus was, a, a Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. Somehow the church don't even want to be around sinners. But Jesus was a friend to sinners. We ought to be a friend to sinners. He said, but you don't know how nasty they are. Yeah, they are nasty. Bill comes out of their mouth. Everything. Everything about them is nasty. And you know why we know? Because we used to be just like them. See, churches have a natural tendency to turn inward. 
If we take our eyes off the harvest and isolate ourselves from sinners, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to turn to one another and we're going to devour each other. Because then I'll start inspecting you. We start inspecting one another. And we start seeing the faults in each other. And we start tearing each other apart. Instead of forgetting about all that and look at those who are lost and dying and going to hell out there, when we start looking at them, our faults is not too bad. Church ain't that bad. Yeah, we're not perfect here. But look at those out there. They're dying. They're going to hell. Devil wants to kill them. Quit worrying about us. Let's put our eyes on the harvest. See, we can't turn inward. We can't. We won't. We won't let you. It's not going to be us for no more. It can't just be about us and not the lost. It can't be that. Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Then he said in, in, in uh, verse 22, he said, to the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. Say some. We're not going to get them all. But we want the sum. We got to get the sum. The sum is more than we can even imagine. But we want the sum. We're not going to win them all. But we're going to win some. I'll be satisfied with maybe 5,000. Wouldn't you? Give me 5,000. It ain't going to be the millions. Give me 5,000. It could happen. Listen, we got up to 600 and shall. I met before Katrina wiped us out. I was looking at taking a whole parish. I, I knew, I said, this place is ours. God is moving. People are getting saved. 15, 20 a week. It's just a matter of time. This place is going down. It can happen. If we expect the harvest. See. When can we expect the harvest? Well when the seed, we got to sow some seed first. You ain't going to get a harvest unless you sow the seed. The seed is the word of God. The seed must be living, active. And the word of God. Nothing else. We don't need philosophy. We don't need schemes and dreams. We don't need any of that. We need the word of God. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. He says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This stuff works on everybody. White, black, yellow, brown, male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. This stuff works on everybody. It's miracle growth. If we sow in tears... On good prepared soil, which is the harvest that Jesus is saying, it's right. Don't get depressed when you go witness to somebody and they reject you and they curse you out. Don't worry about that. They got somebody else that's waiting to hear. Somebody 
could be their brother, could be their sister. Somebody is, is ripe. Somebody is ripe to hear. See, the seed is the word of God that souls are going to be saved. Isaiah records what God says about his word in Isaiah 55, 10. This is what the Lord says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth or making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for what I sent it. The Lord said, my word's going to do something. It's going to do something. And it can come out of your mouth. It can come out of your mouth. He doesn't say whose mouth it comes out of. He says, if it's my word, let it come out your mouth and it's going to do the, do the job. The word of God is enough. Listen, people say, how many books you read? I read books. I just read a book uh, this week. But you want me to tell you, this is all we need right here. <laughs> this is all you need. If you can get this, you got it. They say, well, oh, this guy writes a good book. Yeah, that's good books. I read good books. I got bookshelves with books. But this is the book. This is the book. The word of God's enough. We don't need philosophy of this world. If we sow the word of God, there is a promise that is attached to the word of God. Okay, verse 6 of our text in Psalm 126 in the King James Version. I love the King James Version with this verse of scripture. In verse 6 in Psalm 126, it says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, I like that, if and the the weepeth, going forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, that shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me explain how, how the King James uses this word here, that it's precious seed, precious you know how we look at our grandkids and say, oh, you're so precious. Huh? So precious. It's like our children here, our babies here. They're so precious. The word precious means of great value. It's like a farmer whose crop was not adequate last year. He planted. He didn't get enough. There wasn't enough to feed his family. So he had to save some of the harvest. Now, well, you can't eat everything. He needed the seed to plant for next year. See, he didn't have enough. The crop wasn't good enough this year. They could have ate it all because it wasn't enough, but he had to save some of the seed for next year's harvest. So, when the time comes to plant again, he's got to pull that seed out. This is all they got. This becomes precious. This becomes of great value. Why? Because without this, we're going to die. If this doesn't work, we're going to die. That's why the seed becomes precious. 
That's why if we go out and sow precious seed, they're going to die. That's what we believers are carrying around with us. When we carry around the word of God, it's the precious seed. It's what's going to save their lives. It's mankind's last hope of survival. This is it. The salvation of the world depends on this right here. This seed. If we sow it. It says we shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing in sheaves with us. If we will take the precious seed. And start sowing it out there. We're going to come in. We're going to bring them in. You guys are going to bring them in. Five, ten at a time. They're going to be coming in. We're going to have no place to put them. We're going to need a bigger barn. Next year, we've got to get a bigger barn. I hate to tell you that. After all the work we did, here we outgrow it. We're going to need a bigger barn. Why? Because this seed, this precious seed, that we're going to sow by the time next year gets around here, it's going to, we're going to start bringing in the sheaves. We're going to start bringing in the souls. So here's the question we can't avoid. Are we expecting the harvest? Or not? You think, you think the harvest is just going to show up? Are we expecting the harvest? Well, then we've got to answer some questions here. We must open our eyes and look at the fields. Don't go through your life blinded. Look at these people. We've got to look at the fields. We must be willing to go. We must be willing to weep. We must consider the seed as precious. You have it. It saved you. It saved you. It'll save them. It's powerful. We must consider the seed as precious. I tell you how precious it was. God called me into the ministry. I was a hairdresser. I didn't know anything from anything. I didn't know, know about ministry. I told the Lord, so why, 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 which, which, which you want me to do? You know what he said? Just say what I say. That's all. Okay, I can do that. If I don't have to say anything, if I just say what you say, he said, they'll get saved just like you got saved. I remember our first service in River Ridge. I'm baby in a school cafeteria. First message I ever preached as a pastor. I preached on the sign of the cross. I gave the altar call. A woman and her five daughters. They were Catholic. Never heard the gospel preach. Woman and five daughters came to the altar. I led them all to Christ. One of the daughters were pregnant out of wedlock. That baby that was in that woman is now in ministry. Precious seed here. 
the seed is precious. We don't have to doubt the harvest. We got to expect the harvest. See, when we experience verses 2 and 3, which says, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I want you to know something. This community is watching this church. They're going to see. You know what they're going to say? The Lord has done great things for them. And we're going to be in here saying, the Lord has done great things for us. We're going to be like men who dream. Can you believe this? If you want to see real joy in this church, let's quit looking at one another. Start looking out there. Start looking out there. Don't look at, you start looking at one another, you're not going to like it. But if we look out there, we're going to see the urgency. You want to see real joy in the church? I know what it is. Let's start reaping the harvest of new converts. When you see new converts get in here, because we've already seen some, they jump with joy. They, they're like, they in a dream. It's like, we are dreaming. I can't believe this. I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. How can that be? Let's start reaping the harvest of new converts. When we do our part, when we do our part, God will do great things for us.